Well, I'm going to say good morning to everybody here. It's nice to see you. And I'm going to take care of a couple of housekeeping items. The first announcement is, if you're not familiar with Summer Celebration, remember that tonight is free and open to the public. We have a free concert tonight. We have uh, fireworks. Kids' activities start about 4.30-ish. Fireworks, whenever it gets good and dark, about 8, a little after. And uh, you can purchase dinner here out on, uh, in front of Allen Arena. There'll be Chick-fil-A, I think Nick's Barbecue. Uh, burritos, things like that. So it's just bring lawn chairs, bring a blanket. And if you have been attending several of the classes at Summer Celebration, there's evaluation forms in the back. And you can either use it for this class only or you can use it for an overall of Summer Celebration. And you can leave them up here with me or you can take them over to Allen Arena. They have something called Summer Celebration Central. And it's set up over there and you can leave your evaluations there. But they do ask that sometime before it's over, if you turn in an evaluation, they would appreciate it. Let's them know what they can plan for next year. And I am also going to give a little bit of overview of what we're, what we're going to be talking about today. Kind of somebody came in, stepped in a minute ago and asked me for a little abstract of what we're doing. What I'm talking about is writing our faith. It's, I'm going to tell you why. This is such an important subject to me, why I talk about this. Uh, the forms it can take and ways that you can get started doing it and how to find the approach that works best for you. So if we could, I'd, somebody else might come in in a minute. Sometimes we have other people that come in and pray with us as speakers. But I'm going to uh, go ahead and get started. If you don't mind, we'll have an open prayer. Dear God, thank you for this time that we have to come together to focus on your word, to set aside some time in our day to say that thoughts of you are central in our lives. May we take these thoughts through our day, make you central in our day and in our lives as we go forward. May we live out a faith that we are passing on to the generations that come after us, for we are part of your story. May all that we do glorify you. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. I'm going to tell you a little bit first about why... I talk about this subject, why this is something that is really important to me, not only to live out in my life, but, but I hope that I can help others get started with. And that is, whatever you call it, faith notes, faith legacy. <laughs> Feel free to come on in. We are just getting started. In November of 2008, this is a name that you're going to, many of you will remember, and that is Prentice Metter great man of faith. And just weeks before he passed away, he spoke at Grandparents' Day at the campus school. And one of the things that he urged the people there to do was go home and write a letter to the future generations that are going to come after you. He said, put it in words, what you want to say to them, whatever form it took. And who would have known that when he stood there that day, that just weeks later, he would have passed away so suddenly, so unexpectedly, with such a tragic illness. And Mark Metter, his son, works here on campus, and he spoke at some of the uh, services to honor Prentice's life. And he talked about letters that they had. Prentice Metter had truly done what he asked people there to do. He had written a letter just weeks before to Mark's son, who had, I believe it was a birthday, and he had written him 
not just a birthday card, but a birthday letter, and express some thoughts that he wanted to express to him growing up. And Mark Matter talked about what treasures those letters were that were personally addressed. And part of what he was encouraging people to do is, yes. I will try to speak louder. This is not an amplifying microphone. This is, this is a recording microphone, but I will. I, no, no, that's fine. Thank you for the input. Uh, if you can't hear me at all, please just kind of raise your hand again and I'll look. But he did ask him to leave, leave those letters, leave those faith notes. And one of the reasons why is because this book, the Holy Bible, never says the end. When I was teaching first grade just a few weeks ago, I would try to get the children to understand that everybody in that room is part of God's story. God's story is an ongoing story that we have the canonized text, we have the beginnings, we have what God wanted us to know about him, his revelations in here. But if we put a the end on it and quit telling God's stories, then we have said God is not active in this world at this time, that we're just here for no other purpose than waiting for the return of Christ. And if we believe that, then we don't believe that we have a dynamic and active relationship with God. But there is no the end in here. We are part of that story. I would try to get the children to hold something about their life and put it in a timeline of, you know, what do you remember? Do you remember? You probably don't remember the first time you went to church, but do you remember, does your grandmother pray for you? Does, what are things that you remember in your life? To get them to understand that God's story is going through each one of us. And if we fail to tell that story, we are failing to recognize what God has in store for this world and for the next generations. And we're not recognizing that relationship that's ongoing in this world. So that is part of why I believe we should do this, that we should put our faith, our faith story in words for other people to see. As writer, I'm the writer on staff here at Lipscomb. And every once in a while, I'll write a story, and somebody says, don't you think that if we write about ourselves or you write about somebody else, that it's building up that person, that it's just about our ego, that if I write about you or, or me or something, that it's about building up our egos. And I tell them, no, not if you do it for the right reasons. If you do it correctly and do it for the right reasons, it's building up God. When you write your faith story, it should never point to you even though you may be the main character in that, you should be the character in that. But it should always point back to God. Uh, the other thing is, if you don't help shape your next generations, who's going to? We, we look at the events of the, the world that's going now, and I, I see um, the news about Michael Jackson and the number of young people that are lined up in absolute tears saying, he really touched my life. And they're lining up to go to the funeral. And I'm not putting a judgment on that, good or bad. But I'm saying, what about a faith story in there? These people had something they needed filled, and he's the one who filled it for them. There is no faith story in there. It's a story of fame. It's a tragic story. But there is no faith story. And there's people that have that hole inside of them. And they need to fill that hole, whether it's an ache, a family tragedy, whether they just grew up without faith, we don't know. And you could turn to 
other examples of things that people turn to. But you can't predict your children's lives. We cannot write that script any more than we can write our own. Your great-grandchildren, your great-great-great-grandchildren, something will influence them. And you have a chance to leave a written faith legacy that could be part of what influences them. And we're all vulnerable in our faith at times. We all have that moment where we hurt and we are going to turn to something. And there is nothing better than picking up God's word and turning to it. But sometimes we need something to turn us to God's word. And if it's somebody that you have been told through family history, through family generations, that this is a trusted source, and you have a letter that says, wow, when I hurt, this is how I got through. And then you point them back to God's word. That's a powerful legacy that you have left. Um, the other thing is that people can misinterpret your faith. Somebody else may write your faith story for you, and it may not be what you consider your faith story. Uh, I thought about this with my daughter not too long ago. My, my youngest is seven, and we were talking about going to church, and I realized that she made a statement about why we get up and go to church every Sunday, and she had totally missed the point. She had missed the point of why I get up and get her to church. And so I thought, she knows that going to church is important. She sees it. But if I don't leave my written faith legacy for her, she may miss the whole point of why she is interpreting it through other filters that I'm not involved with, through friends at school, through influences on television. And so she can miss the whole point of, of why we go to church if I don't leave it for her. And telling it orally is not always the best transmission because she hears it through the filter of what's going on today. Uh, this morning, she was not very happy with me as a mother. I made some choices that made her mad as a mother. So if I had tried to infuse my faith on her today, it was getting filtered through that. I'm mad at mom. Mom didn't let me wear what I wanted to wear. <laughs> and through her little seven-year-old ears. So if I leave it for her for the times that she needs it down the road, it's going to get filtered differently in her mind and in her heart than just what I tell her today. And so when she is 20 or 30 or her children down the road, if they come upon something that they can't answer, I hope that they have my words blended with the words of many other Christians that turns them back to God's words that helps get them through. Uh, the other thing is that they're going to judge us by everything else that we say that we leave them. We spend a lot of time writing our wills, which we should. We, we should all have a will. But we, we spend a lot of money and put a lot of time into telling them what possessions we're going to give them. How are we going to divide the house? How are we going to divide our savings? What, you know, what jewelry do we want to pass on to what child because it might have emotional significance? Uh, we also spend a lot of time in, in, in this country, especially tracing our family tree, leaving them our genealogy, which is a wonderful thing. It's wonderful to know where your ancestors came from, how you're tied in 
to the history of the world overall? Are your parents from South Africa or Ireland or uh, Great Britain or you know, the Middle East? Where, where are your family roots? So we spent a lot of time researching family trees. But where we're leaving a big gap is in our faith stories. What did your great-grandmother tell you? Not only is she on this family tree, and not only did she, you're going to get the ring that your great-grandmother wore, but is her faith story part of the continuing of God's story that you want to pass on to them? What did she believe? Do you rely, do you get part of your beliefs from something that your great-grandmother said? Is she one of the people that first talked to you about baptism or um, about your denomination that you're a part of? Everything about your faith comes through not just God's word, but if we're honest, it's filtered through family histories. And sometimes we have to change that. Sometimes we realize that what our family believes is not what we can live by. And that's okay to be honest about that too. But probably you are clinging in the moments that you most need something to something a family member told you. You are thinking about a funeral that a verse was read and it touched you because at that moment is when you understood resurrection the best or something that your mother told you when you were growing up. And so we need to put those down with the genealogies and with the will so we can pass that along. What form can it take? Well, if you're looking for one exact answer, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> Each one of you are different. I am a writer by nature. It just is what comes easy to me. So mine take very lengthy forms that I write. I can write to my daughters, and it's not stressful to me. I hear some people say, oh, my goodness, how can you write? It just, even the thought of putting one sentence on paper is challenging. Well, if you're a legal-minded person, make it in the form of a will. Uh, there are a lot of speakers who talk about making an ethical will. Put it down very simply, very plainly. Here's what I hope you inherit from me. I hope you take your faith seriously. I hope that you choose baptism as a part of your life. Or I hope that you uh, believe in strongly as worship weekly as I believe in worship weekly. Put, put it down. What you want them to take from you is your faith legacy. But as simple as that, just if you're, if, that's, if you're a straightforward thinker, put it in the form of a will. Um, personal letters. If you're a letter writer, um, I, I believe in technology, but I'm hesitant to say put it all on a computer because who knows where that disk will end up, if it'll end up labeled or erased one day. I'm a firm believer in putting it in writing in something. And I'm going to show you, I have something that was a gift to me a while back, and I keep a lot of letters in this box. And my children know that this is a very important box and that one day they will get the contents of what, and I have others, I have photo boxes and um, things like that, but put letters, label it on the top for future generations or my faith legacy and write to them, write to them by name if you know, you're, if, if you have children now or grandchildren, but also be sure and put in there, pass it, this is what I want you to pass on. This is what I would love five generations from now for my family to see. Uh, another one is just get a cheap journal. Just pick up one. I got this at a used book sale, I think, or Goodwill one day. Journal about your faith. 
put it in there. If you come back from a particularly good sermon, sit down, take five minutes and journal. It doesn't have to be a lengthy process. Um, but I am going to challenge you here. Those are some easy ways. No matter how you get it down, it's important to get it down. But I'm going to challenge you to make it a little bit longer and a little bit more detailed. And here's some of the things that I would like to see every parent, every aunt, every grandmother, every friend who wants to influence your uh, friend's children, if you don't have children yourself, to put down in writing is honesty about your faith. Now, what I'm going to say is, don't put your faith potential. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. We all have an ideal that we would like to live up to. Ideally, I would like to never miss a worship service. Ideally, I would like to be there Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and any other time in between that there's a Bible study. Ideally, I would like to pray for an hour daily, at least, minimum. Intentional, not in the car or my flash prayers that I do, but I wish I had an hour to sit down and pray and do nothing else. And then I wish I had an hour solely for Bible study, interrupted, and then I wish I had time for group Bible study outside of that. I have two children in a full-time job. That's not really what my faith looks like. That's my faith potential. That's what I think is important. That's what I wish I could leave out. And you do want to put your faith potential in there. But you also want to be honest. If you set a standard, if I put that for my children and left a letter and said, do this, and they end up like me with a full-time job and children, I'm setting a standard to which they cannot live by. They cannot live out that faith anymore that I can at this current moment live out that faith. So I need to put what my faith potential is, what I hope for, what I pray daily for, strength. But I also, this is a place to be honest. This is a place to say, wow, I hit a wall. You know, when, when I first moved to Nashville, I hit a period where I could not figure out how to get Bible study in. I was starting the job here at Lipscomb. I was trying to get my children enrolled in school. I, I went for several weeks without any Bible study. I need to tell my children that and tell them why it bothered me. Tell them honestly, so if they hit that point in their life, they need to know, wow, she hit it too. And she didn't stay there. She didn't stay away from the Bible study. She worked to get back there. She had to pray about it. She had to work about it. Um, also include those mountaintop, what we would call mountaintop experiences. Put in there the times where you know you did God's will and where you know you were in God's presence and you felt God with you and you have no doubt in your mind that that was a moment of grace and love and a true faith experience. The other thing to put in there is where you had a faith learning moment where you absolutely failed. You thought you were doing the right thing or you got caught up at work or you had a problem and you just can look back on it now and see that you did not do what God wanted you to do. Leave that for them because realistically we know that our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our, our people to come behind us are going to hit those same moments. They are going to have that time where they look back and can say, mm, that was not, you can come in. 
That was not God's will. Um, always, always, always refer them back to Scripture. Otherwise, it's not a continuation of God's story. It is just your journal. Find a verse that helps you get through. Put personal experiences that back up your beliefs. Now, we know we can't base our faith on personal experiences, but if we put in there, you know, my grandmother told me this, and it made sense to me, and I can back it up with Scripture. Let them know that this is part of God's story. They are walking in a heritage that is a strong and beautiful and graceful heritage. And so put those personal experiences in there. And, and put, it, put the family heritage. If you know names, if you know where that faith started in your family, maybe you have a family that you can look back and it wasn't a family of faith and this is the first person who was baptized or went to church in your family. One of the biggest things you need to put in there is a way back. Faith and, and reconciliation and forgiveness just all go together. You have no guarantees about your children, your grandchildren, your friends, the people that you're trying to influence in your life. We all need a way back. We all need a point where if they find your letters and they are about as far away from God as they can get, whatever you picture that scenario in your mind where you would not want somebody to be, uh, What's the way back? Because they may find your faith notes when they are rock bottom. And so you need a, something in there about what you believe, about reconciliation and faith and forgiveness and the grace of God. Because they may not live up to any of your expectations. And when they're 50 years old, they may find your faith notes, whoever the they is. And they need a way back. And they don't need... They can have your statements of what you think is wrong, but this is not the place for the heavy judgment. And say, well, if you ever do this, you know, you're out. <laughs> you know, don't even bother to read my notes. Because God can use what you write to continue his story, no matter how far away that person is from God. The other thing you should leave out is um, guilt. This is not the place to hash out family differences. This is about God's story, and this is not the place to say, you know, and Uncle Joe didn't do this, so don't follow Uncle Joe's example because uh, he's a horrible example. It's okay to say so-and-so hurt me in life. You know, and this is how I faced being hurt in life. But this is not the place to judge Uncle Joe or whoever it may be. And this is not the place to put guilt of if you ever turn out like him. I hope I'm not around to see it kind of statement. <laughs> you know, that, that's difficult. That's difficult to overcome because then somebody's tempted to say, well, that's where I am, so forget reading page two of the letter. You know, because you just judge me. And when we're at rock bottom, we can't always handle being judged. And so we have to be, he, here's what I say is, when, when you're putting it in there, it's better to be positive. It's better to say, I believe that 
blank is essential. Whatever the blank is, baptism, faith, forgiveness, whatever is essential. Instead of saying people who don't believe that blank is essential will have consequences. Because when they're reading this, they may not be in a position that they agree with you. We don't know what their influence will be like. I wish I could write my children's script. I wish God gave me a blank piece of paper and said, write it out. What is this daughter going to do? What is this daughter? What are their children going to do? But I can't do that anymore than I can write my own script. So I have to be careful because if they have been swayed by the world and they are reading my words when they're at rock bottom, then I have to think, did I give them a way back and was I careful not to judge them the way that I don't want to be judged? And the other thing is, I would, if, you, if you are into genealogy and things like that, I would journal separately for that. Uh, I, I journal separately about my faith, and I keep a separate journal about just stuff going on in their lives. I like to write down, hey, this was funny. Here's what you did when you were seven. You know, or wow, you got in trouble, and you're going to remember this one day, and you're going to look back on it. And just funny stories or things they've overcome. I keep that separately. I label my faith journal this is the family faith legacy heritage that we're passing on and keep it separately. And I want to take a few minutes to give you some ideas of how to get started. The first is, it doesn't matter if you're a writer. It, it just really, it, this is to be used by God. Even if you spell every word in it wrong, even if your grammar is horrible, you know, th this is not about our perfection because God has done that for us through his grace. And so if you're writing this with the right intent, God will use it, you know, whatever your style is. God will take care of any mistakes that you make in this if it's to be used for his glory. So like I said, journaling, story form, if you're a writer, do it in story form. Legal documents. Put it like a legal document if you're a straightforward thinker. Letters. You know, right before you go to bed, write a letter. Uh, try it longhand. Try to just get an old-fashioned pen, paper, and sit down and write. If that just doesn't work for you, if you just think, oh, I, I, I'm not a writer, type it. Save it when you get 20 or 30 pages. Type, you know, if you do this for years. You can also set a, different, uh, a definite time. You can say, I'm going to do this as a three-month Bible study, and at the end of three months, whatever's done is done. And every Wednesday night or every Tuesday morning or whatever works, I'm going to do this for one hour, and then when it's done, it's done. Uh, and, and don't ever worry about it after that point. You've made a commitment to do that, and do that as part of your Bible study. Another way to get started is we're going to do a little experiment here. And you can write, or you can just do it without writing. But try timed writing. Here's a trick that we writers use when we're trying to get people, hey, if, we're, if we're teaching uh, high schoolers or teaching college students who say, I just can't get started on paper. Time yourself for 30 seconds. Pick topics that you want to write about and just write without stopping for 30 seconds. Time yourself. And at the end of that 30 seconds, go back and see what you have. You might have a finished product. You might have just then say, oh, yeah, this is what I wanted to say. Um, I'm going to take 30 seconds. I'm going to time you. If you want to write it or if you just want to think about it, um, 
I want you to think in your mind for 30 seconds of everything that you know about Jesus. Just whatever. I'm not going to give you any other direction about that. Go. Okay. Even sitting in a classroom in a group with a little pressure, you probably came up with some wonderful thoughts that then you could take and expound upon and go back and write a letter about one of those thoughts. A lot of times when you're writing in timed writing, you think of something that you forgot. It comes out on paper. You know, oh, I would like my children to know. I forgot about that Bible story. Or, I don't think I've ever told them about that Bible story. Or, I doubt I'll be alive to see my great-great-grandchildren, so I'd like to be the person to tell them that Bible story. It's easy on some things if you pick Jesus. If I told you um, in 30 seconds to write everything you know based on Scripture of Artaxerxes. Could you even think of anything in 30 seconds? Well, I brought that up because it's in Nehemiah. If you want to know who he is, look in the book of Nehemiah. And that's all I'm going to tell you. There's a lot more, depending on how far you're willing to take this project. This is going to be something that grows you more than it will ever grow the future generations. If you can take this into a large project, it will force you to examine what you really believe. Not just what you wish you could live out, but what it is you really believe and how you live it out. And then if you can put that down on paper, your faith will be a shining example for this generation, for the ones to go. Because I find that when I'm really forced to examine my faith and try to put it down, it forces me to be really honest. You know, I think of um, some of the ways that you can organize this. You can just be random. This, whatever you're sitting down that night and thinking of, put it down. Um, you can do it Roman numerals and subheadings. A, you know, I, this is, baptism is first. Start with baptism. And then comes uh, my belief about the resurrection and my belief about worship and my belief, and just put subheadings. Um, buy a reference book. And organize it just like that reference book. Get a, a reference book that's around your house, and if the first thing that is in there is the letters of Paul, write what you believe about Paul. What do you believe about Paul? Is, is he an example that we should follow? What about his sufferings? Are we called to suffer like that, and do we really suffer like that? Or do we just 
hold it up in church as something, but when we have to put it down on writing, we can think of all the times that God asked us to suffer, and we said, no thanks. You know, if we were Paul, would we really? Would there be the books of the Bible about Paul in here if, if, if we had to live it? Because there is a big difference, as I talked about in the beginning, between our faith potential and what we really live. And if you accept this as a challenge to really put down the faith that you live in writing, you have to face some things about yourself. When I write this, I am automatically reminded of the things that I'm not doing because I want to write for my children the ideal faith. And then when I tell them how I live it out, I have to say, okay, here's what I'm trying to do. Uh, Another way to organize it is um, alphabetical. Think of all the things that start with A, B, C. Do it like a dictionary. Angels, baptism, Christ, (laughs) um, death, uh, what's E, Easter. (laughs) How your mind works. Do you see where I'm going here? This is about your story, your relationship with God. And God is not asking you to change who you are in order to do this. Don't try to be a writer like me to get it down. Use the gifts that God gave you to get this down on paper. And if you are a thinker in that order, you know, then then do it in that order. Another is, there's a wonderful book um, called Letters from a Skeptic that I use as an example. I don't agree with all the faith issues that are written in there. But I love the fact that it's Dr. Gregory Boyd, and his father is a non-believer. And his father challenges him and says, I'm going to write you these letters that tell you everything I don't believe about your faith, and I want you to answer me. And so the son takes up a challenge. And if you, if you pick up a book like that, you, you see the questions that if someone in your family lineage down the road might have these same questions, why is the world so full of suffering? Can you write that for future generations? Take a list of questions like that, that either in your own life or that a non-believer, sit with a non-believer and ask them, you know, why, what's stopping you from believing? And his father in this book said, I cannot believe in this good God because I see all these bad things around me and that is one of the things stopping me from believing. And so the son has to wrestle with that answer. It's his father. He wants his father saved. But he has to admit that his father has this stumbling block just as future generations in your family may have it. They may have seen so much suffering that it's hard for them to believe that there's a... Why would God let whoever in their family die? Why would God let me suffer? Why did God take away this? Um, Things that kids ask us. Does God know the future? What do you believe? Can you put that down? And if so, then how do you live that? Don't just put that you believe, yes, God knows the future, period. What, does that play out in your life? Um, what do, you, do you think the Bible is God-inspired? A lot of non-believers wrestle with that. You know, it's, it's humans. It, it's humans with a lot of flaws. You know, when we read the Bible, we, we know... Paul tells us there's things he struggled with. David, we know David sinned. And so people think 
so you really think that there's a God who inspired this and then wants me to read it and change my life because of this. Can you answer that for them? And if so, how does that affect your life? Do you live it? Um, how can I be holy and sinful at the same time? That's a big one. We're called to be a different people. We're called to not be like the world. We're called to not go after the fame and fortune uh, and, and not be jealous of those who do, to be content with the, the gifts that God's given us. But at the same time, boy, we sure blow it. You know, we, we sure mess up. So how do we wrestle with that? What can you tell somebody in writing that you're willing to put down and lay out? You know, God's going to, God knows your answer already. God knows your heart. But it sure makes you think about it when you have to put it in writing and know that your children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews or friends of the family may read it one day. Because the next generations will not just know your words, but they'll know your actions. And they're going to judge you just as the world judges us. We are the stumbling block at times for non-Christians because they wrestle with that fact that I say I want you to be a holy people, and yet they, they see me sin at times. They know that there are times where I didn't go, get up and go to Wednesday night Bible church, and yet I'm telling them I sure wish they would go. How, how do I wrestle with that, and how do I put that down? When you have to put it in words... Now, Paul, through his writings, tells us, you know, if you look at the, the, Paul's letters, almost all the way through that, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, I write these things for when I'm going to be absent. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, I write this greeting in my own hand because I cannot be with you. Paul is writing God's story, not for Paul's glory. I'm not asking you to write for your glory. But I'm asking you to wrestle with some very, very serious topics. And whatever length that you could get, I would love for every family to have a spiral-bound book about this big. <laughs> I don't have one this big. But if we could tell God, if we could tell future generations how we actually lived out our faith and put it in there, the struggles, the honesty, the truth of God's action, his grace when we failed. And we could put it in a way that can relate. You know, I save just letters. I have letters that my grandmother sent me. They don't have anything to do about faith. Some of them, you know, I know her faith. But just a birthday, the other day I just ran across a birthday card. And you hold it and all those memories come back. You know, oh, I remember, you know, she used to do this, you know, and it was so special. Think of how special that could be if you did the same thing and tied it with faith. If you picked up a letter when you were hurting the most from your great-grandmother and said, wow, she knew what it was like and she didn't let go of her faith. She, she made it. She knew how bad I was hurting because there is nothing that gets you through more than knowing that somebody understood. They may not understand exactly. I heard a woman speak who had lost her child and when he was in his teenage years. 
I don't know what that feels like. I cannot personally, I can do my best to minister to someone, but she said one of the things that came out of it is that she is now able to be the person that is in that room when another mother has to get that news because she knows what it feels like. And she can be one of the first people that go and hold that mother's hand because she knows what it feels like. And if you can pass on something to future generations that says, here's what I hope you do. Here's our faith potential. Here's where I want to be. Here's how I lived it out to the best of my ability with God. And then you always send them back here. That's the other biggest challenge is when you're writing these things, you have to find a scripture that stands up to what you say you believe. And it's a challenge because sometimes we realize that we believe a few things that are not really in here. I'm going to give you a silly example of how we can confuse morality and Christianity. TV in my house. My girls just don't watch a lot of TV. They, they just don't. They're, they like to draw. They get up on Saturday mornings. They get their little blocks out. They do all kinds of things. Now, to me, that's a good thing. I like the fact that my children don't watch a lot of TV. And so now, be honest with me here. If you've ever taken something like that and then stretched it like this, if there is somebody that is annoying me just a little bit, like people can do, or if there is a moment where somebody has made me think about my faith and I, I disagree with them and I want to think that they are wrong and that my faith is just great in that moment, it is easy for me to do something like this. Say, my children don't watch much TV. Yours do. My children, therefore, are wholesome. And they think good thoughts. God likes it when people think good thoughts. Therefore, God likes my children more than your children. Therefore, I'm a better Christian than you. Now, that's a silly example. But we can take... Morality is great. Now, don't get me wrong. It's great to have the values that you set for your family. You know, is there going to be a set amount of TV time? Or uh, if you have girls, I'll think of this because I have girls. What, what age are you going to allow them to wear makeup? You know, what age are you going to allow... Uh, your children to date, or etc. So we all need morality. You know, hopefully most of our morality comes from our faith. But there are times where we just take our good old American culture and we turn it into something like what I just did and said, therefore, it's Christian. Not really. My children aren't anymore. It's not like they get up every Saturday morning and have prayer time and kneel down and worship God for the first five hours of Saturday morning. They're kids. They're just digging in the blocks and doing whatever and arguing with each other a good part of the time over who got the blocks first. That has nothing to do with Christianity. That, that doesn't make my children any more or less Christian. But there are times when we tend to Christianize our morality. And so sometimes when you're doing this, you will find that you're holding up a standard that's not in here. And so you need to be careful when you're writing it that you're separating what are just your moral values and what really is in here. So when you go to find a scripture, 
if I tried to find a scripture about why I don't want to watch my, let my children watch TV a whole lot, it's not in here. There is nothing that says if your children watch TV, they're less Christian. I, I can't hold that up to any standard. Uh, same thing about a lot of things. You know, I know some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people who let their daughters wear makeup. It, it, they're in my daughter's class. I don't yet. That's a mother's choice. So we find, especially as Americans, that a lot of times we have Christianized our morality. So when you've got to write it, if you can't find it in here, you might come to realize that, okay, that's just my personal family belief. And that's okay to include it. It's certainly okay to include the morality in this because that stems from your beliefs. What do you hope your children, grandchildren grow up as? Um, but it also... Um, when, when you point people back to Scripture, it reminds you that you've got to keep yourself grounded in this because sometimes we believe something and it is truly just a family belief. It's not ours yet. You may believe that you ought to go to Wednesday night Bible study just because everybody in your family did. Now, if you search Scripture, you can find Scripture that talks about how we should be with other Christians how important it is to be in relationship with God, how we should go. Wednesday night also is a wonderful thing. Sunday morning worship, wonderful, if we're not connected with Christians. But if you, if you make yourself find scripture to back it up, then you've made your faith yours. It's not just the faith of your mother, the faith of your grandmother, the faith of your father, the faith of your grandfather. You have told them, here is why I believe it hear God's word. So it's a big challenge when you do this to send people back there because then you have backed it up with God's word and you have connected the story which is what I talked about in the beginning of what I would like for everybody to do. I would like for all of us and all the future generations to realize that God's story never said the end. We are called to be an active, dynamic relationship with God and God's story is in this room. God's story is in your homes. God's story, we are not just sitting here waiting. We are part of God's story. And we need to, as Christians, put these stories down, not for our glory, not because my story is so great, but because this is what we, we have to pass this on. Somebody is going to pass on their faith to the next generations of your family or to your friends or to, you know, just whoever you can think of. An anonymous person may find this. It may get lost in a move. God will use it if you put it down. You know, if you move out of Nashville and forget and leave it in the attic and five generations later somebody cleans out the attic, it's there. It's there for God to use. And it, it, it might just bolster somebody who's already has a strong faith. You may be fortunate that people in your family just carries it on down the lineage. You know, and, and it just reinforces what's already there. But God may use it for a powerful purpose if there's somebody that's hit that rock bottom and needs to know, how do I get back? Wow, somebody really believed this was true in my family. Because, you know, generations down the road, you may have a household in your family that doesn't even have a Bible in it. But if they have your words and that gets them started, then that sends them right back here. And that continues God's story. And did I, does anybody have any questions about the practicality of putting it down?
it's a, it's a big challenge. Like I said, there's a lot of, I challenge you to find a way that works for you and stick to it. it whether you make it a lifelong project and once a month you write, like I said, make it part of a three-month Bible study and then say, that's all I can handle. Three months, I'm done. I'm not a writer. But find way, find questions. Um, Another way you can do it is um, take a Bible dictionary and pick out keywords in the Bible dictionary and say, what what do you believe about it? Angels. A lot of books. If you're family members, it's depending on what store they walk in. If you go to the religion section of Davis Kid, wow, I don't want my children reading some of those books. You know, there's some great ones there, but there's also some really strange beliefs that are put down in writing, especially if you go to the popular bookstores. So I, I can't keep them from reading them. Once they turn 18, we're really down. Every once in a while now, I find that a friend is giving them a book and it sneaks its way into our house, and I look and I say, what is this? <laughs> How did this get in our house? And it's something that I really disagree with, so we have to have that talk about, you know, this is why mommy doesn't believe this. So the world is out there. Somebody is going to influence my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, my nieces, my nephews, my cousins, you know. And I would like to be a vessel that God can use to be one of the influences who does that. And if we, if we could end in prayer... I'll take some more questions if anybody has, but if we could. Okay. Have you, and what would be your recommendation, have you uh, shared your, your thoughts and your letters with the kids already, or is your vision to really collect that, build on that, that story, and give that to them much later in life? Or, or is it one of those ongoing? That's a good question. Yeah. He asked if, if I share it with him now or if it's more of an ongoing process. I do a little bit of both. There are times where my oldest daughter is 11 and she's starting to get into a lot of that peer pressure. You know, she's starting to get those questions about, well, so-and-so believes this. You know, so, you know, somebody that I met out on the playground said this. And so there are times where I know that she can't hear me orally. She can't process because the world is going around and spinning and she's got homework on her mind and that question came up and I can tell she's thinking about it. But that five minutes in the car is not going to get it. Sometimes I give her the quick answer and then I go home and write it and leave it on her pillow. Uh, You have to know what works for your family members if you have a relative that needs it. Sometimes the letter is better because she's a thinker at night. That's when her mind slows down right before she goes to bed. I also then go back and take those back when I think they pondered them. When I can tell it's been read and then we've had a longer conversation about it, I take it back and I put it with a longer journal that I'm writing. Most of what I've written for them, I have not shared with them yet. Uh, either their age, uh, my youngest is seven and a half, she's not she can't grasp what I hope that she can grasp when she's 80. Um, and some of it's just personality. 
you know, I, I just know that they're not where they can understand it yet. They're not, they don't want to hear it from mom yet. So I leave it, hopefully when they can read it outside of those other filters that are the dynamics of our family. So like I said, sometimes it's, it's hard with, you know, as the parent, they're also getting the other messages from you that are the discipline and the, the things they don't want to hear. So it's, it's challenging for them to read it from me. So I hope that when I leave it in a letter form or journal form, that they can distance themselves just a little bit. You know, they can take it and get rid of the other thoughts in their mind. I mean, overall, I don't want to sound like we're not a loving family. I love my children, they love me. But you know how it is when they're young. And so hopefully they can read it when they're not thinking, yeah, but mom just grounded me for a week, you know. <laughs> that they can take it and read it. Yes. There's, there's books. I've done this as a weekend retreat. I've, I'm kind of putting everything in an hour here that I've done. It makes a great either Wednesday night ongoing Bible study for, you know, six or seven weeks, eight weeks, or a weekend if you have a day retreat or a weekend retreat where people can actually write and then come back and say, well, I got stuck on this part about angels, <laughs> you know. Um, a good way to do it. There are a lot of writing books out there. But I struggle with them, using them as text, because they're geared toward a certain form. It's hard to find a book. They either want you to write in poetry form, or they're um, very far from faith. Yeah, they're very far. So what I tell people is find a good book that you might have already used for a Bible study that really touched you, and use the chapter headings. If, if it has good chapter headings, is one good way to turn it into a Bible study. If you found a book that talked about, um, you know, a faith journey and the chapter headings were uh, baptism and, uh, you know, resurrection and Easter, so, you know, whatever the chapter headings would be, ask people not to read the book but write about what they believe about the chapter headings and come back and talk about it. Yeah. I would use I would use your own just use your notes, explain the process to people, kind of explain back, and if you if you give me your email address, I'll be happy to email you my notes. Uh, I don't mind giving you an, an outline form, but if you're going to do it as a Bible study, that I just my personal recommendation is let each people each person write about whatever. Give them several ways to get started. Put out some books. So if somebody is struggling, if somebody cannot think of what to write about, you want to give them the comfort zone of telling them some options, but then also telling people that they don't have to write about that. And so let people go back and write about whatever they want to and come back and talk about the process. Talk about what part was hard. Maybe somebody tried to write it in, you know, uh, legal document form because they thought they were most comfortable with it and it didn't work. And let them and the group can make suggestions. Well, hey, this worked for me. I wrote it in letter form. Or the letter form didn't feel good to me. I wrote it in this form. And, and talk about the process. Let the group discuss the process and the reasons why they're doing it. And it's also interesting, though, to give people a chance to 
if they want to read back some of what they read, wrote, because that stimulates a lot of thought in other people. Because sometimes it's a learning experience to realize that I couldn't come up with a scripture for what I believed about whatever the topic is. And somebody in the group did. Somebody was able to write a beautiful story about why they believe the power of baptism or give a definition of baptism. And they found wonderful scripture references. So it's also a good, if you do it in a retreat form or um, a Bible study form, do a little bit of both. Talk mostly about the process. Give people the options of how to write it out. And then offer people the opportunity to read some of what they've read because it's a beautiful experience when you can put your faith in words. Are there any other questions? Well, if not, we will close in prayer and send our day off. Dear loving Father, we are so thankful that we are part of your story. That we are not just wandering alone in this world. That we are tied to you by faith, by love, by grace. That we are all part of this ongoing faith story. That you're still active in our world today. That you have not moved a distance from us. But you are still ever present with us as we go forward. May we cherish our faith journey, cherish our relationship with you, keep you first and foremost in our lives. And may we be part of the ongoing story that influences the world to come after us, people that we will never know. But we know that you are powerful. You use our stories if we turn them over to you. So may our stories be your stories. In Jesus' name, amen.